Good day. This is Michael Muth of Going Global International Interviews. Today we're speaking with Tom Mitterai, the uh, Global Director of WiMAX Business Development for Motorola. Um, and we're talking with Tom about implementing WiMAX technologies worldwide. Uh, if you'd like to see an edited transcript of this interview, they're available at intlalliances.com and midwestbusiness.com. We are recording. Okay. Uh, thank you, Tom, for making time. Um, now, I understand you are responsible for WiMAX worldwide for Motorola. Yeah, I, I am uh, predominantly focused in the Western Hemisphere, uh, and uh, a few of my peers handle uh, Asia and, um, and Europe. Um, but uh, I, uh, I'm familiar with most of the going on in the other regions as well. So. Okay. Well, first, um, just looking at the web page, um, a couple of general things I'd like to learn about WiMAX mm -hmm. first. My understanding was GSM is the dominant international standard for most wireless network postcards, but I saw that CDMA is being installed in other places as well. Right. Where and why is that being installed instead of GSM? Well, the, uh, in the early in the early goings after analog, uh, it was clear that analog needed to be replaced by digital. There were actually three standards that were introduced by the industry. Uh, GSM, CDMA, and CDMA. Mm -hmm. um, for a while, all three kind of coexisted and competed. And that was a good thing because it kind of brings out the best in, in, in the vendors and things. But in the end, what happened was um, the CDMA kind of faded away. It, mm -hmm. it never really got uh, critical mass. And uh, two really um, continued to exist, GSM and CDMA. Uh, it's probably fair to say that the GSM market is considerably larger than CDMA. Uh, it's certainly global. Um, uh, interest in the U.S. was really the last place that it had get conquered. Um, CDMA is uh, very um, uh, has a very strong presence in Asia and in North America, um, uh, but its presence in Latin America, Africa, and Europe is, is weaker. Um, but I would say at this point, both are, are global standards, which is something somewhat more dominant right now. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and Looking at Motorola and dealing with WiMAX, how do you work together with foreign service providers? Yeah, this is a um, this is really kind of pivotal because although most of our our, um, our our show now is focused on what uh, uh, Motorola is doing technology wise, and of course we're highlighting some of the U.S. carriers uh, because uh, you know we're in our backyard and their backyard. Uh, the international market is as important, um, and maybe even in some ways more important, because um, for WiMAX to be successful, it really needs to depend on global economies of scale, not just the U.S. Um, the good news is that um, there are very generous spectrum allocations throughout the rest of the world at both 2.5 gigahertz and 3.5 gigahertz, and in some places even at 2.3 gigahertz. And there's a tremendous amount of interest in WiMAX. So, for instance, uh, Motorola has 40 trials that we're doing concurrently in, in 12 contracts. Two of those are in the U.S. You know, so 38 are overseas um, in Latin America, in Asia, in Europe. Um, well, I'm gunning for Antarctica, but we can't find a way to get the penguins to where there's these devices yet. There's they don't have some. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But so, you know, the, 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 the global market is really important to uh, economies of scale. Uh, the good news is we're uh, 
Um, we have great opportunity. We have uh, tier one carriers that are in WiMAX that actually go off and got spectrum. Uh, there's generous spectrum allocations, so that makes it very fertile ground. And um, um, I think we'll see um, a, a, a flurry of announcements before long, given the nature of the trial activity uh, about uh, you know uh, systems being developed in just about every continent. So. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess part of what I'm getting to is Motorola simply an equipment vendor or supplier, or do you work on the implementations as well? Uh, any assistance in managing the equipment or the network? Yeah, if the word of the question is, are we a, a service provider, the answer is no. We're not, we're not um, um, owning equity and service providers at, at this point. Um, but we... Um, we do see in, in, this, in, in the market today a tendency for carriers to want Motorola to do more than just ship equipment. Uh, some of them want us to actually do all the installations um, to service the network. Um, I can think of a few that are leaning toward having Motorola even operate the network for a period of time. And part of that is just because there's a technology transfer needed. Um, we saw this in the original cellular days where Motorola did, you know, soup to nuts, and then as the carriers increase their acumen for the technology, they started taking over more and more of, 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 of the work. So I, th I think we see this follow the same trend where we do an awful lot of the work. Uh, maybe even um, some initial period where we might operate or, or do one operations and maintenance on a network and then hand it over as the, the acumen of the uh, carrier organization to prove. Um, and where outside the United States are you installing? Why not? Fixed broadband, um, that's Wi-Fi, and indoor broadband over. Well, I'll speak to Wi-Fi in particular, and then uh, uh, my knowledge of some of the others is uh, is more limited. So I'll yeah, tell you what I know, and then. We we um, as I said, it's on every continent except uh, along with Penguin. Um, uh, we are uh, we have a strong presence in Latin America. So I'll speak to that um, um, in in more detail. Uh, we have trials going on in Canada, in Mexico, in Chile, Argentina, and Brazil. Um, uh, throughout the, in the, in the Americas, and we have requests from other um, localities within the region as well. Um, and we would expect some of those, or all of those, to turn into commercial networks. Now, in some cases, the carriers don't want to be identified because they're trying to get a market shot. Um, so we have uh, announced the, the network, or the, the trial plans in Brazil uh, with CDA and with VGR in Chile and with Primus, which is a, a company in Canada, as well as the two in the U.S. And um, there are um, uh, you know, several several more that we're working on where they've asked uh, to keep uh, uh, you know, their actions uh, private. Um, in the rest of the world, we see a strong interest in parts of Europe, especially uh, Eastern Europe, um, where the telecom infrastructure is less well developed, and WiMAX is a great way to kind of leapfrog. And uh, Asia is really heating up um, as well, especially um, in um, in the kind of northern part of Asia. Um, a lot of spectrum has been allocated. A lot of trials are in progress. A little less familiar with what's public. I'm going to let uh, Trace give you some um, you know background and follow up on 
I mean, maybe, you know, so we can get to it as to what's going to publicly announce so we can kind of zero you in on the country. But a lot of it is, um, you know, uh, everything from China through Southeast Asia. And uh, we actually, you know, have done some work in Australia as well. Uh, we, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and later. So um, I just would rely on her to give you information on what's published so I don't get myself in trouble. So. Gotcha. Um, could you give me an idea of the scope and scale of these kinds of things? For example, are they typically city-wide, looking at regions or provinces, nations? You know, in general, if you if you want to characterize it, generally a three-step process. Um, we usually start with some sort of lab trial, um, just to you know prove in the technology against some basic benchmarks, throughput and performance and latency and that kind of thing. Um, generally, then people want to take it out in the field and the real world and prove it in. Um, and um, so, you know, we'll put in a half a dozen sites or a dozen sites and, and prove our work in the field. Now, um, yeah, we might, you know, cover a couple of square miles or something like that. Um, now, that, that helps them prove that it's real in the field. Now, um, if this was a proven cellular technology, they just support, right? But what we're talking about now is new technology, and generally with new technology, you know, carriers want to, um, you know, uh, uh, take an incremental approach and, and manage the risk. So, you know, we'll often see them choose to do one big city or, or something, and again, then there's a proof point where we demonstrate and are committed to demonstrating that this system performs as needed, and then they'll go and do a nationwide deployment. Now we've seen exceptions to that where in Pakistan they just they they work, work through those steps very quick and and now we have what is it twenty two or twenty three cities deployed in Pakistan in a nationwide system. Um, but if you look at a more typical deployment with, with Sprint, you know, we've been doing lab trials with them for quite a long time. And uh, we are now um, deploying Chicago. We'll prove Chicago in and then Sprint, you know, obviously is going to go and build a nationwide network. But we have, as a as a developer of technology, we have a number of proof points that we have with customers to demonstrate that to them that you know we can meet the expectations that we set out to meet, and that would be more more typical. Okay. And what is Motorola's headquarters location, Schaumburg's role in a lot of these different international implementations, negotiations, and stuff? Well, um, you know, it's kind of a mixed story, right? Uh, Motorola is, is uh, a very diversified company in that we have uh, well-organized and talented people all over the globe. So uh, a, a certain amount of the work is local, right? And um, we're fortunate to have some, you know, uh, well-trained and educated people in countries throughout Latin America and other places that can do an awful lot of the, the heavy lifting. But um, there are communities of, 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 of expertise or centers of excellence. Um, in the, the corporate portion of Motorola, whether it's Motorola Lab or some of the corporate support groups in, in our sector here in networks and, and um, 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 networks and enterprise, that um, that kind of are drawn on to deal with special issues. So, for instance, some of the core technology was developed during corporate and now is being commercialized and productized. Um, there are certain uh, groups of, of deployment experts or RF design experts that will often go to the various regions and support um, 
you know, especially when the support is needed for a period of time, like, you know, going to do an art design for a whole country, we'll, we'll send some expertise out there, or dealing with particularly, we had a, we had a customer who um, wanted to operate YMAX in the same band as some older technology, and we had to figure out, um, you know, how close they could go coexist in the band and that kind of stuff. So we had to send a crew out from Motorola Labs who were experts in our interference to, to do some studies and figure out, you know, how to, how to, how to deal with that scenario. So generally corporate, um, the corporate and the, the sector level, um, centers of excellence have called in in, in support roles when, um, there's technical problems to be solved or, or that kind of thing. I was just trying to get a feel, you know, how centralized versus decentralized, right? I get to see it's very decentralized when, except when you send in commandos. Right, yeah, it, it, it's important, you know, every, all of these countries have their unique idiosyncrasies that um, are, are critical to being successful in deployment, and um, you really need people that know and understand the local environment to be successful, right? Different zoning rules and different you know, telecom providers that you might have to use for back call and, you know, so you really need a local team that then has the, the corporate expertise to lean on. On the other hand, you do need to be consistencies across mm -hmm. geography and some way to enforce those consistencies. And so, you know, again, it's always a balance. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard right. to kind of figure out where that line is. Right. It's probably not going to be a full time conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I think you get the picture again. Um, where do you see YMAX going the fastest? You know, it's, it's kind of an interesting question. We, I've had a few um, engagements with um, uh, the Latin press just, uh, just earlier today and earlier. Um, I, you know, I, my personal viewpoint on this is that um, it might just follow um, historical patterns with cellular. So if you look back at cellular in its infancy, the U.S. and part of Europe was really kind of the core of, of where the technology was developed and where it was first successfully commercialized. First yeah, in some ways it, it did. Um, but you saw the first million users and the first, you know, all these initial benchmarks. But then what happened was um, the, the second tier markets, the Latin America and parts of Asia, quickly overtook uh, in terms of some of those those growth metrics. And the reason really was the fact that there were pay phones all over the place and there were uh, home phones that place. And so, in a way, cellular started out as kind of a luxury or, or is, is a, a, an important tool for the business population, right? But in, in places like Latin America, I can remember it when we were growing quickly in Brazil, it, was, it took seven, it was a seven-year waiting list for a landline phone, right? So what ended up happening was cities like Sao Paulo and, and Caracas and uh, Buenos Aires became the densest cellular systems on the planet, right? Uh, Tel Aviv was one of the largest. Predominantly because it solved a need that, um, that there was no other solution for it and the cost was about right. right? So, well, it sounds like it's kind of an infrastructure plan. In other words, it was a lot quicker, easier implement that infrastructure than it would be for that. Absolutely. And it, so uh, lower time, a better time to market, um, a reasonable cost basis. So what happened was the, the technology incubated and, and started to grow in the first year market. And then as it, 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 as it got some maturation, 
it just took off like crazy in these other markets. And then, of course, what happened is, is our fight, we had a lot of price competition, and our market screws and cash, and it kind of fed on itself. So, you know, if you look at the broadband penetrations in places like Latin America, you know, 10, 15 percent, um, you know, that kind of thing, whereas for us, it's much higher. So you could see a similar phenomenon where a lot of the early start happens with Sprint and the things they're doing really drive the market here, but they also create some global awareness of this potential, and they create a confidence that it that, that YMAX has some same power, and you frankly have some license holders in, in other places like Latin America who are uh, very well-known entities and well-capitalized and that kind of thing. And so I, I, you know, I had this vision um, that um, eventually the excitement around YMAX will then take that second step, which is move to the emerging markets where the, the fastest, uh, most convenient, easiest access to broadband is wireless because it can just be deployed so much quicker, more quickly. So uh, we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, I, if I could, uh, if all my predictions were accurate, I suppose I, I'd be uh, playing the stock market. But, but uh, history tends to repeat itself in a lot of the same conditions as this that existed in the past. So it was definitely to be the case. I'm curious, why that is different in different places? In other words, different frequencies, different standards, different regulations. How does it differ? In some ways, there is. Um, there are different frequencies. Generally, outside the U.S., it's 3.5 gigahertz, although there's um, um, 2.5 does exist in some markets. Um, the MMDS band is uh, not everywhere at 2.5. The, uh, the 2.5 gigahertz allocation is in the U.S., Brazil, uh, Mexico, a few places, but not everywhere. Um, there's a little bit of 2.3 in the world. Um, so there's such, such a, the largest block of sessions is 3.5, and it's nearly global. Um, generally, the standard is the same. Um, there is some difference in that some countries permit mobility. Yeah, three five and others don't. Uh, there's others that are kind of sit on the fence and are likely to open it up for mobility, but yeah, yeah. Um, why would or would not a country allow mobility to make enough? Well, originally the three I five allocations were meant to be six services. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of the countries have realized with the event with the the advent of uh E that uh, adding mobility um, would give the carriers a, a more robust business case. So they've been opening it up to the mobility, but it was originally conceived as a fixed only kind of allocation. Um, and so the, the tide is turning towards allowing mobility because there's a very fine line between mobility and, and, and fixed in today's world, right? Is your PC a fixed device when it has Wi Fi in it, or is it a mobile device? Well, you know, it's kind of nomadic. So so, well, I think originally there was, um, it wasn't even dreamed of being viable, right? There wasn't a good technology solution to it. And uh, I think in some cases there was some uh, inclination by the cellular providers to, uh, to minimize the competition. Right? Um, and, um, but I think most of the, uh, a lot of the regulators have become very enlightened and are starting to use the types So I would say a, a, a large proportion now at 3.5 permit mobility and a number are, are actively considering it. Um, I think the only other thing is that it's not necessarily a regulatory difference, but um, um, there's a different business model depending on where you're at, right? And Sprint is pushing the, uh, um, the market toward a mobile business model, a 
real subsidy business model, whereas in other countries, it's about basic broadband service, right? Um, Implementing their model in other places outside the United States as well. Not that they've told us about. So at this point, um, um, the United States is primarily by license, and so either license in other countries. Yeah, they they have roaming partners, but they, um, as far as I know, you'd have to ask them. They don't have any properties that they own. Um, but obviously, they're they've co they're collaborating on one on a global scale. And um, they have been very influential in global standards pushing, uh, and frankly, a big piece of the success of Linux has been the work that's been done to really um, commit to Linux early on, which is a big deal, and then to continue to um, advocate for its adoption in 3.5 and 3.5 and So, um, so there's some difference in business model of where the first priorities are, but the technology is the and how much pricing differs at the consumer level in different countries? You know, I, it's kind of hard for us to say because we don't set the pricing. We sell okay. the equipment and that kind of thing. But, you know, I can tell you one of the things that we set as a benchmark early on, and that was, uh, and, and frankly, I, I think this is one of the most fascinating things about Longnet, and that is um, people are willing to put out for broadband service in their home about the same amount as they would for a cell phone or a gift phone. So, I don't know, let's call it, you know, 30 to $50 a month or something like that, right? Um, now, uh, home telephony and mobile telephony are very low bit rate services, right? CD makes phone call is about six kilobits per second, right? Uh, a voice call on your, on, on, uh, your AT&T or whatever your service provider is, is 64 kilobits per second, right? So I call, let's call that a low data rate session. Right? Now, you pay somewhere around the same amount for broad, broadband from Comcast or AT&T, right, um, depending on the speed. Now, In other words, landline fixed. Landline fixed. And, you know, that might run from, what, in today's world, you know, uh, 15 to 40 bucks. Right? Now, here's the difference. The number of bits you need to push across the network to get that similar revenue stream is 10 to 100 times what you need for voice. You need half a megabit, a megabit. So that was the challenge of broadband over wireless broadband was to push 100 times the bit rate across the network and do it at about the same price as cellular or fixed, right? And, you know, um, Part of the reason UMTS and, and 3G has struggled is, is they can push higher data rates, but the cost basis isn't much improved. So um, the economics are kind of tough. Well, the, the beauty of, of YNAX is we have found a way to do two things. Increase the, the bit rate substantially across the network so we can put, you know, offer more bits. But we had to do so at a much, much lower cost basis or we couldn't succeed. So I would tell you we can pump about 100 times the bits of voice, cellular voice or, you know, SMS across the YMAX network at about the same cost basis as cellular, i.e., the cost of carrier, about the same amount of money as it would to do a cellular system. And that's important because it basically says that we can produce a, a, a revenue stream similar to what people get today for broadband, you can make it, you can, you, you have a viable business. And, uh, you know, aside from all the technology, which sometimes we can get overly um, 
you know, overly discussed too much. The real magic of YMAX is the economics, and that is that we can do 100 times more data across the network for about the same cost. And that's why broadband can succeed financially where it has in the past. Well, it sounds like it's consumer level that should filter down mm -hmm. and not creating much greater cost. That would be the, the idea is that, you know, for about what, you know, out of pocket, about what people pay today, they can get brought in in their pockets and then they go. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, so just thinking about why that's in different world events, can why that's self when humanity in this place? Um, curriculum, curriculum. So is that simply a function of antennas staying up? And in, in some ways it is, and I, I certainly would want to claim that one next year's world hunger or, or make tragedies uh, go away. But I will tell you that, um, you know, we had experience with, uh, with disasters where cellular systems proved to be more robust than wired, than in-ground systems. Um, and YMAX um, has the potential to provide a uh, very robust broadband solutions that might have some um, survivability um, advantages over wired infrastructure. So, I, you know, I can't tell you that's the number one design goal, um, but um, it is a very robust system. Um, generally, the systems are designed to be disaster-proof, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, broadband is becoming increasingly important to uh, you know, uh, public safety kind of organizations. So, uh, yeah, it could, it could, we could find someday it will play a significant role in, you know, using, uh, disaster recovery and that kind of thing. I'm just trying to think of instances outside the United States that are different from what we experience here. Yeah, I think that the, 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 the biggest thing, frankly, is uh, my personal view is, is that what YMAX, what, what Cellular did for voice communications in second and third world markets, where um, you know only the wealthy could afford a, a, a landline, they had to wait years to get it, um, you know, and what Cellular did was brought voice communications to the masses, and it was all kind of across almost every income. Level. Um, and it did good things for the economy for some of these countries. Um, now, broadband is becoming table stakes for being um, an active and successful player in the global business environment. And this uh, technology will have the potential to give um, uh, you know, second and third tier countries disadvantaged populations an opportunity to have access to broadband, which will pull them and bring them into the global economy. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it, I think we'll look back on it. It will be a powerful force and growth engine for uh, countries that might otherwise um, not have the advantage of the broadband just because stolen cables is just so expensive and difficult. So, you know, I, you know, I, I certainly don't want to claim that it's going to cure world hunger, but um, you know, these new technologies, because they have such an attractive cost base, they can be very much more quickly, uh, will give economies a, a leg up. And um, um, I kind of, it will be kind of exciting to see the, uh, what the results are. It's interesting to watch telephones. You know, let's all countries people doing anything. 
Yeah, absolutely. 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 I guess I can see where, you know, why that can be one of the broadband being now just adding. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we get out of the vicious cycle where you need wealth and credit to to to, to grow economically, um, you know, because we can't afford to do kind of, you know, pay as you use models and that kind of thing. So, you know, it, it, it could be a powerful force. I hope it is. Um, um, what problems have you encountered when you were negotiating or installing some of the products that you had? I found a number of examples from some mm-hmm. of the press uh, releases mm-hmm. on the website that are more Asia-oriented. Mm-hmm. But I guess generally, what problems do you run into in going through this process? Well, you know, any any new technology, um, uh, you, you know, has got its idiosyncrasies, has got its challenges. Um, and certainly WiMAX has had all the typical problems with the new technology, like getting critical mass among um, a community of vendors, which we have finally conquered. There are many top-tier manufacturers who need on that. Um, getting the first big carrier uh, or two to submit publicly and, and put their, um, you know, reputation online. We see that, you know, mm-hmm. well, both. But, you know, Sprint came to the forefront and did that, and then we have some others, others as well, and I think there's others that are in that. Um, you know, we had the technology issues of just working out the bugs and um, these 40 trials that we had and, and you know, the 12 commercial contracts have really given us the chance to go work through all the idiosyncrasies and the bugs. Um, the good news about WiMAX is that it, it has a much lower cost basis because it uses an open IP network. Um, the challenge there is you've got to integrate with an, uh, a very open environment and um, so, you know, there's challenges about integrating into the idiosyncrasies of every vendor, every carrier's um, applications and that kind of network. So, you know, all of these are kind of the, the, the stuff that, um, you know, um, we would expect to have to go tackle um, that will ease uh, and get easier with time. Um, but they're critical milestones for the technology, and I think we've gotten past all of the, the really big ones now, right? Those are technology work. We'll look at adopted. You know, is it, are the chipsets really going to come into the market? Um, can we really successfully integrate it? Um, so now the, the challenge is, challenges are to deploy it on a massive scale worldwide, right? To scale it up, and um, you know, with, uh, even with 40 trials, you know, that's, I, we've never done 40 trials with new technology. We used to do five or six, right? So it, it tells us something about the uptake rate. So the challenge now really is to to successfully deploy it in many, many, many places all at once. And, uh, yeah, you mentioned idiosyncrasies of certain areas. Can you give some examples of idiosyncrasies of some of the foreign areas? Well, you know, they, um, uh, it, 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 the, the WiMAX is predominantly a radio access network technology. So in the back end, you have all of the application technologies. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, every, um, it's a global marketplace. There's um, back-end uh, network providers from China, from India, from Europe, and, and everywhere. And uh, we get to integrate into those, those kind of networks, and they all have little differences, right? Um, 
So in the case of well, they'll have differences in, in terms of what uh, specific platforms they use, you know, whether it's an IMS platform or uh, somebody's top switch or, or whatever. They'll have idiosyncrasies in terms of how they do their operations and maintenance, and all of those need to be integrated with. Now, in cellular, we think we have very rigid standards for how that, is, how that happens, so the, the permutations are fewer. The IT world is much more dynamic than that. And so there's a wider variety of integration points and vendors and, you know, implementations. So, um, you know, all of those are things that we have to tackle. The good news is that it's gone pretty well. Right? Um, but, uh, you know, with IT becomes, becomes much lower prices and much more flexibility. Um, but then we have to deal with those, those differences in system integration. And, uh, so it's very important for us to have all of these trials in every continent and among every country because it gives us the know-how to deal with all this flexibility and variability. So. Yeah. Now, on the website, I was only able to find about a half dozen such releases on YMAX trials. Mm -hmm. and Would it be possible to get a list of all those that you can publish? Yeah, you can have a look at in looking at those questions, it looks like Asia Pacific seems to be more of a focus than the rest of the world. Is that the case? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that it, it is. Um, there's a tremendous amount of activity in Europe, uh, especially Eastern Europe. Um, of course, the U.S., um, you know, clearly our expenses have been very active. Uh, Canada, we've had our first release this, this week, uh, but there's more activity there. Uh, I've first been involved in Latin America and, um, you know, I'm going to be hyper, super, you know, United Premier this because of, of all the activity down there. So, you know, I'm hoping to give me the whole first class section to myself in the future because I've got so many miles. But, you know, it's, um, I, there you go, wouldn't it be, yeah, it's, I think I'd like to just stay home and do nothing for, for, uh, for vacation. But, um, I, I think the activity is where the spectrum is. And um, the spectrum is almost everywhere, um, and um, the countries that have the most um, demanding implementation requirements tend just to be moving the quickest. So, for instance, in Chile, the, um, the carriers got the spectrum that they had to have a, a certain portion of the country covered in, a, in one year, they lost the license. Um, or actually, they had, to, they, they had to pay a penalty. Um, obviously, they're going to move very fast, and that's where one of our initial customers is, uh, was with CTR. Um, in other countries, it's more economic-driven because there isn't a tight timeline. So I think you're seeing the dynamics of each country kind of play out based on the regulatory framework, the degree of competition, um, and, and other kind of local factors. But uh, I can't think, really think of a region in the world where there's been a lot of activity um, and I, I think some of it just has to do with uh, when the carriers are willing to go public because, of course, they would like to get as far as they could without necessarily alerting their competition to what they're doing. So. Um, something that I think is kind of in Chicago and given Motorola's involvement, I believe Motorola provides a wireless broadband infrastructure for security and intelligence at the Pan American game in Brazil recently. Mm -hmm. What can Chicago learn from that in putting together their bid for 2016? You know, it's a good question. I'm not sure I have a, a ready answer for it. Um, I will tell you, though, that um, um, that was kind of a, of a focus on 
uh, the public safety kind of element of it and, and uh, the show coordination and enterprises that were functioning. And, um, you know, I think what we're, we're showing here um, today, you know, on these locals and, and with the, um, and with uh, uh, Sprint is that uh, Chicago is very likely to have the most advanced wireless broadband system on the planet um, within a year, right, within the when Sprint launches next year. And uh, that can only be a, a huge factor in Chicago's uh, um, favor, uh, having, you know, obviously a bunch of top-tier cellular providers, but having, you know, Sprint launching their you know, the, 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 the high-speed mobile broadband system in a, Chicago is the marquee city can only work, you know, for our advantage. And uh, I, I suspect that uh, the, the organizers will catch wind of that and, and um, add it as just one more element that makes Chicago a good choice. So. And you only have to keep one thousand, right? Sure. And as I mentioned, I found some things about Asia. I'm not sure if it makes sense for you to comment on um, the innovation. You see Motorola following that communication in India. Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to have to defer those because I'm not sure that I'm uh, up on enough on the details in Asia. And then if, if you really need that on that, we can get any facts to help find it. Can you give me some examples of similar things that have gone on in Europe or Latin America? For example, I did see you've worked with um, WorldMap in the Netherlands. How did that come about, and where are you today? Yeah. Um, Sanjay can help on the European one. Um, I can tell you what uh, we've been doing in Latin America and in, uh, in North America. Um, VTR is a contract that we signed um, just recently. They, they, they just announced recently. Um, they have a regulatory mandate to cover the whole country, right? And that regulatory mandate is timed off of their license grant, which would really require that they demonstrate coverage in the whole country by uh, March of next year. Right? And is the mandate wireless broadband for the whole country? Um, it's wireless uh, broadband access to the whole country. Now, um, it's a little less, the, the requirements are very detailed and the speeds aren't quite what we expect broadband to be, but if you got into the idiosyncrasies, it's basically about covering a certain percentage of the population. The numbers are very high. It's basically a total of the whole country. Uh, if you look at uh, Chile, uh, it's uh, population centers in the north and then some other population centers scattered throughout the rest of the country. It's a really challenging environment. Um, and we're deploying uh, technology uh, viral solutions there. Um, but it's a phenomenal market. Right. It's a very, um, it's a free enterprise market. It's structurally very sound in terms of a very high quality regulatory environment. So although it's less than 20 million people, it's a phenomenal place to highlight YNX because you can do big things fast and it's a, a, a very competitive environment. So that one we're very excited about. Um, it's a, a property that's um, owned by Liberty Global, which is a, a, a tier one uh, global companies, uh, lots of experience with broadband services. Um, we also announced a deal in um, a, a trial in uh, Rio with TVA, which is a uh, an operator to that five gigahertz. They uh, yeah, um, they recently uh, had a 49% share purchased by Telefonica, which is a 
Possibly tier one regional player in Latin America. There's a cellular properties in almost every country in Latin America. Um, and looking at providing broadband services um, throughout Brazil, which is one of the most dynamic markets and highest population in Latin America. Um, I have, we have more trials than we can speak of, but unfortunately they're, they're all being uh, held privately in, in Brazil, in, um, in um, uh, Mexico. There's obviously a bunch of tier one players there, and Mexico is an extremely uh, strong market in, in, in Latin America right now. Uh, we did announce the one in, in Canada with Primus, um, but we're working with others. Um, and then we have a, a pre-WINAX technology called Expedience, which um, is very much like WINAX, except it, it's, um, uh, it's the same core technology, but it came out before WINAX was really ready. And that has been deployed successfully in, I think the number is 14, I might have to check, 14 countries in Latin America and North America. Uh, it's the technology that Clearwire has commercially deployed today. Um, and Nookshook in Canada, which is kind of a joint venture with Dell and Rogers, is static deploy in Canada. MVS, which is um, a, um, a paid entertainment player in Mexico, nationwide, has it deployed in Mexico. Uh, and it's deployed in a bunch of other places throughout you know, Latin America. And, you know, that gave us a chance to go in with some technology early and offer these kind of services um, prior to Linux being, you know, really ready. Uh, so that technology is throughout Latin America already, and we would expect that some of those uh, carriers to move to Linux as a, you know, uh, in the mature sphere. So, yeah, we'd be pulling out some equipment and putting in some new equipment, but it would be, but it, it functions the same way, at similar capacity. It's just because it's proprietary. Uh, once Winex gets the economy to scale, then Winex will uh, probably get better software. But uh, this technology has been commercial for four years now, and, and it's kind of been a workhorse throughout the Americas and a few other places. So um, I, I, I don't have it already all the statistics about how many hundreds of thousands of units are in various countries and that kind of thing. But um, you know, there's 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 tens of thousands in each of these countries on this technology today. Um, so. Um, and I think just a couple of personal things. Uh, you mentioned you accumulated hundreds of thousands of frequent flyer miles. <laughs> I'm curious, how did you get into this international stuff? In other words, yeah. you know, have you studied international business? Do you speak foreign languages? You know, what do you mean to doing with Latin America? Well, it's, yeah, it's kind of, a, kind of a fun question to answer. Um, the, um, you know, coming to Motorola 15 years ago um, uh, in the cellular business, um, the, uh, there was a tremendous amount of growth internationally, and I got involved in, uh, uh, you know, global business, but uh, with some emphasis on Latin America in, um, in the kind of uh, mid-90s. We built the CDMA system in uh, Venezuela, in Mexico, in Argentina, in Peru, uh, when CDMA, and CDMA was replacing analog in a lot of these countries. And, uh, you know, it's kind of very gratifying to see those systems go in. Um, we actually built the system in Chicago and I was part of the team that, that uh, worked the dealers for the first time back in 90, I think it was 96. And it was very gratifying to put a system in Chicago. And it was the first time in a while we had put one here. 
So coming back again, you know, uh, 15 years later, not quite that, 12 years later or so, putting a system into Chicago again, you know, the latest, greatest technology in our own backyard was, uh, has been fascinating. And then, uh, you know, the ability to go back down to Latin America and, and build things down there that could, could actually kind of revolutionary eyes uh, the access to broadband and, and is, is very exciting too. So, um, you know, this is a, a passion. Not very well. <laughs> Not very well. Um, I hear, I understand it better than I speak it, but, um, um, but the people in Latin America are very gracious and, uh, um, you know. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. It's a, it's a great place to work. So, and there's so much potential down there, so uh, it's, a, it's a great place to go. You can just, you can just envision where it's going to go and, you know, how it'll change. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Anything else important for MidwestMidwest.com readers to know about Motorola's involvement in YMAX internationally or just in that Well, I'm I, you know, I think just from the perspective of uh, Midwestern companies and of, um, of um, you know, what's next, um, you know, I think companies who have traditionally supported the telecom business, uh, who have traditionally um, been kind of our partners on a, on a um, uh, known, known and unknown, right, um, uh, in cellular and broadband. No, I'm just I'm basically just saying you know there's there's companies who have um, you know provided service to companies who have built antennas who have, you know whatever um, who, who do parts of this, this business that we don't do right it should really probably look to Linex as the next big thing right um, and um, I, I you know would encourage uh, you know companies that are in the telecom space that are in the service space that are that are in the um, um, you know consulting space. Um, that are somehow associated with telecom, with broadband, with entertainment services, with with um, training, you know, that kind of thing. That you know, this is an area to look to for the future. Uh, cellular uh, technologies have had a nice run for 20 years. Um, here is the next act in um, uh, wireless um, communication, and um, it's, uh, it's something to keep your eye on. And uh, it could be uh, a place for a lot of companies in the Midwest to uh, uh, to be their next growth engine. Great. Thank you very much. You're welcome.